and you're listening to CJLO 1690 AM. This is the Automata show where we talk about all graphic arts all the time. And that was Igor Preznyakov doing an acoustic cover of Enter Sandman by Metallica, which was pretty impressive, actually. Every single thing was totally created by that acoustic guitar. I was quite impressed by it. Anyways, my point is, is today's show is about the Sandman, written and created by Neil Gaiman and various artists who we will be talking about. There's gonna It's going to be a two-episode arc because the second episode is going to be all about all the offshoots and the branches of Sandman because after Neil Gaiman put his baby to bed, uh, he let other people play with his baby. <laughs> that sounds pretty bad, actually. What I mean is that there was a lot of people involved in this world that Neil Gaiman created and he let them continue to create within the world that he created. So that in itself is also pretty awesome. I guess it's kind of similar to Hellboy when we were talking about Mike Mignola. But the thing is, is you know, Hellboy is a great comic and it, it is really educational for folklore and well, mostly folklore and legends and myths. But the thing about Sandman that sets it apart from Hellboy is Hellboy is like, it's like Raymond Carver. It's like Maltese Falcon. It's like, I don't want to say it's hack because it's not, but it's just like, it's a specific genre. It's like a pulp genre, right? And Sandman is also a genre. It's kind of like, it's definitely got its tentacles into the horror mythos, but it's also got a lot of legend and myth in it as well. It's like very educational. But at the same time, it's like an intellectual comic, comic for intellectuals, you could say, because there's just so much depth happening within. When you look at Hellboy, it's pretty much, it is what it is. You see it for what it is. It's, there's nothing hiding underneath the surface of Hellboy. But when you read Sandman, it's one of these comics that you have to like read and then read again and then a year later read another time because there's so much stuff that's in the beginning that you totally miss because you don't know what's going on. And then when you get to the end, all of a sudden, a lot of things become very clear and it's genius. It's a genius piece of work and that's why we're talking about it today. So the first book actually was um, Preludes and Nocturnes because the series was coming out and there was like, let's see here, there were 75 issues. Issues, and they didn't expect it to be as popular as it was, so they were really quick to put out the collections because the issues were really hard to find, especially the first 10, because they anticipated it being cancelled. Because it was just one of those things where it was like totally from the mind of this one guy, Neil Gaiman. At the time, he'd only done a couple of stories, like he'd done the Black Orchid, Orchid uh, miniseries, and he'd written a story here and there and from various DC characters. So it was a big deal that they were giving him this chance to like put forth his ideas and have them completely unmolested by the DC people. Uh, at the same time, there are superheroes that make appearances within the Sandman world, but the, it's not about them. It's about Sandman. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Like I said, there was 75 issues. They expected the book to be canceled by the 10th issue. Um, the story, the series started in uh, October of 88, and it finished in March 96. Uh, one of the things that's, I think, one of the things that makes Neil Gaiman really great is the fact that, so, he created this character, the Sandman, right? And within the DC mythos, there's two other Sandmans. One Sandman was based on the Sandman that Neil Gaiman created. And the other Sandman was there a long time ago, and it was created by Jack Kirby. So that's one of the things that I find that Neil Gaiman is really good at, because he even does it in Black Orchid, where he sort of starts to bring a little bit of logic to the relationships between these superheroes and supervillains. So within the Sandman series, he explains the Jack Kirby character as somebody's um, mad 
fascination with heroes like this character died a long time ago but he's in, in he's alive in somebody's imagination and so that's how that that jack kirby character was explained and then there's the sandman mystery theater theater guy wesley dodds and he is actually based on the sandman that neil gaiman created in the sense that he has his helm his mask and he uses that to fight crime but the sandman himself created by neil gaiman is a completely separate entity and it like the story behind it is just Ah, oh, it's amazing. So let me just give you the lowdown. Basically, in at the beginning of time, there was this family called the Endless. And the Endless embodies all our emotions. So the Sandman is dream and not necessarily all our emotions, but like they're just it's hard there there are these abstract constructs of feelings and, and, and things that we as humans go through. So like there's Sandman who is dream, he's the lord of the realm of dreams. So when you dream you're in his world. Um, there's death, she's like this cute little goth girl who is the last thing you see before you die. And there's destruction who obviously is around during wartime and has a, his finger in a lot of politics. There's despair and her twin sister desire and despair is this hideous troll creature whereas desire is this sleek and gorgeous androgynous creature and um, then there's delirium who is actually sort of based on Tori Amos and who's really awesome who used she's one of my favorite characters but she used to actually be um, delight but at some point something happened and her brain snapped and she became um, delirium and then there's also destiny and I think that's all of them and destiny knows everything that's happening and everything that will happen and everything that has happened so it like they're really there's he created this amazing world to play in and they like the amount of stories are just endless, <laughs> much like the family name. And on top of it, one of the other things that makes Gaiman so special as a writer is that there's stories within stories. So you have all the story of the Sandman, like the main story arc of the whole series of the 76 issues, or sorry, 75 issues, is the Sandman gets trapped by this character who's sort of based on Aleister Crowley. He's like this magician who's got loads of money and uh, like a cabal at his, to do his bidding. And he's trying to trap death, but he accidentally traps Dream. And then people fall asleep and don't wake up for a while, a bunch of people. Meanwhile, uh, this magician, Burgess, is trying to get Dream to give him something, but Dream was content just to wait because eventually his chance to escape will arrive. And then, of course, he does escape. Now, the rest of the book series, I call them books because to me, it's like one giant. You can't collect it because it'd be bigger than a phone book. But it is a book to me because it's just one huge arc that is just a huge chunk of a story. It's a book. So anyways, clearing the air there. The thing about Sandman in the story arc is... So he escapes from his confinement from this magician Burgess and he sets out to retrieve all the items that were stolen from him that are sort of like his talismans as well to um, rein in all the dreams that have gone unchecked uh, since he's left his land and also to avenge himself. But lastly, he ends up evolving and changing into a better and more mature person and then because of these things and as like... And on the path to becoming these things, he ends up atoning for some of his sins and apologizing and trying to right wrongs that he had created in the past because of his headstrong foolishness. So it like it's 
the Sandman character himself is full of so much depth. Like, you cannot... He's an anti-hero and a hero all at once. There are times where you're reading the books and you just totally despise him because he's such a prick. And then other times where you're just like, my God. But he's so fickle. Like, I don't know. He's a really excellent character. And his whole family is excellent. And you learn about them throughout the series and blah, blah, blah. We got to go to a song and some ads. But uh, when we come back, we're going to break down the whole series of books and talk about the artists involved and... Why Neil Gaiman is a complete comic book genius. You're listening to CJLO 1690 AM. The next track we're going to play is Fiona Apple, Sleep to Dream. You're listening to CJLO 1690 AM as well as CJLO.com. I tell you how I feel, but you don't care. I say, tell me the truth, but you don't dare. You say, love is a hell you cannot bear. And I say, give me my back and then go there for all I care. I got my feet on the ground and I don't go to sleep to dream. You got your head in the clouds, you're not at all what you seem. This man is by. In all my life I could swallow the seeds Twice down all this pride First you run like a fool Just to be at my side And now you run like a fool But you just run to hide And I can't abide I got my feet on the ground And I don't go to sleep to dream You got your head in the clouds You're not at all what you seem This mama's body and this voice Cannot be stifled by your TV
Dublin. There's something wrong with you. Hey, this is the K-Man. Tune into CJL.com on Friday nights from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. for Beyond That Graveyard 3. Start your weekend the right way, always. You love it, you need it. Beyond That Graveyard Part 3 on CJLO.com. And just the CJLO 1690 AM as well as CJLO.com. And this is the Onomatopoeia Show where we talk about all graphic arts all the time. And today we're talking about the Sandman because it was created by Neil Gaiman, illustrated by many different amazing artists who've gone on to do even more amazing things. It's a genius of a little series of books. I shouldn't say little, 10 books, 75 issues. There's so many spinoffs. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. Anyways, just to give you an idea, it was on the New York Times bestsellers list, and it was like the first graphic novel to be up there. It was also won 26 Eisner Awards during its uh, time as a comic book series. And as well, Midsummer Night's uh, Dream, which was illustrated by P. Craig Russell, or no, Charles Vest, sorry, and uh, was one of the short stories within the Sandman series, won a World Fantasy Award in 91. And people were so upset about it because it's for fiction and it's not for comics that they like banned comics from ever being nominated for that award ever again. But, you know, when you write a good story, you write a good story. And that's the bottom line. And Gaiman, he writes a really damn good story. One of the things that's great about Sandman is even though the whole series is one giant story. You can pick up any issue, any book, and it's like almost a standalone story. You don't feel like you're missing anything. There's a beginning, a middle, of an end. Everything ties up, but then suddenly there's more, which is what makes his writing so great. I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the beginning of the series. Dave McKean, who did the covers for the, all the issues and all the trades, he was actually the original character sketch artist when the first uh, story was pitched. He was also the one to demand well, actually, I don't think he demanded. He probably persuaded Karen Berger that Sandman did not have to be on the cover of every issue, which at the time was revolutionary because he's the main character and the book is about him. But uh, McKean, if you've ever seen his work, is certainly in a class all of his own. He uses photography and mixed media and creates these gorgeous collage pieces that sort of pinpoint like the overall feeling of the issue really succinctly with, you know, the slightest of image. It's really fascinating work, Dave McKean. They've even done a collection of his covers of Sandman. If you just want to focus on that now, let's see what else did I want to tell you about the first book um, was really awkward. If you, and actually a couple of times I've tried to get people into uh, Sandman, but people are just like a lot of the times are people that don't really read comics. And it definitely the first book does not have a traditional layout. In fact, the majority of the series does not have a traditional layout. What am I saying? Um, but the thing is, is Sam Keith was the original illustrator who went on to do the max and all sorts of fantastic comics. Um, but he, you know, none of those guys had worked together before. Neil Gaiman, Mark Drinsberg, um, the inker, and Sam Keith. So it was really foreign. And there was kind of fits and starts. It, it does come across looking a little bit like an EC horror comic. And it kind of is a little bit, when you consider the content, is about this poor creature being trapped for hundred not hundreds, like 60 years in the basement of this mansion um, and being forced to dance like a puppet. Well, he doesn't dance. I'm exaggerating. But my point is, is like he's trapped in there and he can't do anything and he can't escape and he has 
to just sit there and wait or do what his captors demand of him. There's also other story arcs within this first book. Like it just goes all over the place and you follow the bunch of people who've fallen asleep and never woken up. You have a bit of a story with Cain and Abel. You learn about the Hectate, otherwise known as the Furies, who play a major role within the series. Uh, Neil or Neil, sorry, the Sandman encounters um, John Constantine in his quest to get his things back. So there's that little aspect if you're into that part of the Vertigo mythos. John Constantine's a great character. Uh, there's all sorts of... It's an adventure, like, but there's just so much more going on than what you accept back to you. Martian Manhunter makes a brief appearance. It's just... And then there's this awful massacre in a diner. It's, it goes all over the place. At, by issue five, um, Sam Keith left and Mike Drinchberg started illustrating with Malcolm Jones uh, inking. And they brought it to the end of the book. You can get these books anywhere. Like, seriously. You can even go to the library. They're everywhere. They've been around a really long time. The Sandman collections. A lot of people I know actually have them in hardcover so that they can, you know read them over and over again. I have a tendency to read them at least once a year because I just, I fall into this well of amazing, amazing imagination and I never want to leave. But, and it's so all encompassing that you really do find yourself just immersed. Now I came into the Sandman in a really weird way because I did not start reading it chronologically. I actually bought the kindly ones because I was a huge fan of Mark Hempel, who is this great illustrator who did a series called Gregory. And he did uh, a couple of issues of the massive climax of the Sandman. Now, I waited for a while. I was like, okay, don't read this. You've got to read all the Sandman. You can't just read this you know, huge book and, and understand what's going on. But eventually, I just gave in because I couldn't stand it anymore because the art was so fantastic. And it is the climax of the story. So I was getting kind of upset. And I was like, boy, you're really dumb. You've got to read it all. So then I started reading it all. Now, it starts out, and this is what I mean about stories within stories that are, f- like, really great little encapsulments of the characters. The first story in the Kindly Ones collection is about, uh, is illustrated by Kevin Nolan, and it's all about the land of the dreaming. And you're you're with Lucius, and he thinks you're like a guest of Morpheus, who's the, the Lord of Dreams, and he's showing you around, you're meeting all the characters that live within the dreaming. And it's, it's a great little introduction because it lets you know, like, you as the dreamer have no power. Now, with um, Mark Hempel's work, like I said earlier, you're introduced to the Furies. The Furies play a major role in the death of Sandman, because that's what this is all about. Like, the beginning is all about him escaping, finding his things, atoning for his sins, and evolving and realizing as he evolves that he has to end, because he's such a sort of ancient archetype. And it's... It's a real massive quest, and, you know, they've been trying for eons to bring it to the screen, but it's just, it's not possible because nobody can really imbue it with that sort of whimsy that Neil Gaiman has in his writing, or at the same time, have all this wonderful magicness to it. Um, The other, I wanted to read a story to you that's in The Kindly Ones, that's actually what I was trying to tell you about how it's like a story within a story. Um, And in fact, some of the books are just short stories about the people around. It's got nothing to do with what's going on in the main story arc. So this one I want to tell you about is Loki. Loki has set the, the wheels in motion for the destruction of the Sandman. And this isn't the kindly one. And he decide, he's telling this story to Puck Robin about um, how he tricked Thor into believing he was pregnant. Now, the thing that makes this genius and that makes Neil Gaiman genius is, like, I read a lot of books, and I'm sure you people do too. And some writers are not very good writers. Like, it's really easy. Like, uh, I was reading those Hellboy books, and Max Allen Collins was... I was really surprised by how terrible a writer he was. Because it's... 
you have all these different characters and they all need to have very distinctive voices. And it's really hard to do that sometimes. And in, and in comics, it's almost like you have to be super amazing at that because you have so many different voices. And if they all sound the same, the story just doesn't come across. And so Gaiman has a bajillion characters within the Sandman series. And, you know, one of them just happens to be Loki. And he's telling this story about Thor. And, like, it's just such a distinctive voice and such a hilarious story. I have to share it with you. And, like I said, this is what makes Neil Gaiman genius. So, uh, let me tell you about a true story, says Loki. Many years ago, I convinced Thor of the reason for his impotence was that he was pregnant. Pregnant? Mm-hmm. He's not very bright. And I told him to lie face down and naked on his sleeping furs until I came and delivered him of child. And he listened to you? Well, I was disguised as a wandering physician, and he said, He's not very bright, is he? Exactly. So I fed him a gallon of castor oil, painted his arse blue, and shoved a cork up his bumhole. But why? Oh, because it amused me to do so. I told him it was a cure for his condition, then I went off and slept with his wife. Ho, ho, ho! Oh, she wasn't much of a lay. But it amused me to know that it would destroy him if he ever found out. So there's Thor, lying face down with a cork up his fundament for a week and a day, while his insides continue to rumble their course. And now he's got a pain in his gut like you wouldn't believe, and as the pressure continues to build... And I told him he might experience some pain, that it was common in pregnancy... But suddenly, into the room, through an open window, bounds Ratosk, the squirrel, who lives in the branches of the world tree. Ratosk is curious as any little squirrel, and he climbs on top of Thor's squirming, straining buttocks, and he pulls out the cork. And then suddenly an explosion! Eight days of worth of oiled poo thunders forth from the fundament of the Lord of Storms, and the mighty Thor sits up. He looks around, he says Ratotusk on the ground, stunned, gassed, covered in his poo, and slowly with hands as big as ham hocks, he picks up the little animal and stares at it. And then with one ponderous motion, he clamps it to his bosom and he says, you're ugly, you're hairy, and you're covered in poo, but you're mine and I love you. <laughs> it's just like the story came out of nowhere. There's this horrible kidnapping of a child at the beginning of the book. And then all of a sudden here you have Loki regaling us with this hilarious tale of Thor that you've never seen in any Marvel comic. Uh, the Sandman is just fantastic. Anyways, we're going to go to another track. You'll listen to CJLO 1690 AM. This is the Onomatopoeia show where we talk about all graphic arts all the time. Now I'm going to play for you Tori Amos doing a live cover of Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House. This was in Melbourne, Australia in 2005. You're also listening to cjello.com. Tori Amos.
Listen to CJLO 1690 AM. That was Troy Amos doing a cover of Crowded Houses Don't Dream It's Over. You're listening to CJLO. This is the Yonamata Pijo, and we are talking about The Sandman, which was created by Neil Gaiman and illustrated by a slew of amazing artists. Now, one of the things I wanted to tell you about Sandman is that it was a complete anomaly when it was coming out because. For the first time in a really long time since romance comics came out, at least 50% of the readers of The Sandman were women. And then on top of that, most of them were in their early 20s, and they read no other comics. It was crazy, but it was because it was so fantastically well-written that it was riveting. You cannot stop reading it. And even me, when I was starting to do my research, I read these books a gazillions of times, and I still felt myself drawn into these stories because they're just so amazingly well-written. Also, by its finale in 1996, Sandman was outside selling superman how's that how's them apples anyways i just find it just amazing and now let's talk about some of the books because the stories within the books are also what makes it so good now unfortunately because i don't have all the issues i'm not going to be breaking it down issue by issue i'm just going to be breaking it down by trade by trade so we already talked about preludes and nocturnes which was issue one to eight and uh, we already talked about how it uh, introduces Sandman and you find out about what has been happening to him and why he is the way he is. Uh, you also are introduced to Lucifer who rules hell and there's, you know, you meet the rest of the family and basically the main story arc of Sandman is that he is trying to get all his talismans together, which includes an amulet, a mask, and a bag of sand. And then he's trying to atone for all the horrible things he did um, in the past when he was a very rigid and unbending character person and then he starts to come to the realization that the most drastic change that he's going to have to make is the one of his death um there's somebody there ready to replace him and the stories are just like they jump around in time for example there's one character that you're introduced to in book two which is doll's house and his name is hob gadling or rob gadling and the story starts out and it's like in medieval times and he's sitting in the bar and he's just in the pub and he's drinking and he's shooting his mouth off and sandman is there with his sister death and basically hob is like i'm never gonna die i have decided i will not die and so it becomes this challenge between death and the sandman to see uh dream to see how long this man will live and they have this agreement where every 100 years they will meet 
and have a drink and tell each other how they feel. And basically, they become friends. And it's, it's a really fascinating story and a way to reveal more of Morpheus than he's willing to reveal within the story parameters. It, and of course, you get to see um, how life changes over time uh, because this Rob character ends up living for like 600 years. And it's, again, one of those standalone issues where you could have just read it, finished it, and you know you wouldn't have been worse aware or worried about what else is happening. It's just such a great standalone story. Now, the other story in Dream Country that really hits you where it hurts is the first story, which is a love story about Morpheus and this African princess, Nada. And he falls for her, and he comes, and he woos her, and he wants to marry her. But in the end, she realizes that he's not quite part of her world and she refuses him and he's so angry because he's like this god he refuses to be denied that he sends her to the pits of hell to be tortured for hundreds of years and so the first story is about how he goes down to hell to free her um and then at the same time lucifer's decided that he doesn't want to rule over hell anymore lucifer gives the key to a sandman morpheus and then all of a sudden he becomes involved in this huge thing where all these uh, characters from other planes of heaven you could say in hell are petitioning him for the key for hell because it's a whole bunch of souls and that's a lot of power so you know you have people like odin and you have characters from like the chinese levels of hell and you have um uh characters from the egyptian uh you know gods and it, it like it's it was it's it was it's fascinating i know i'm stuttering over myself but that's what i'm saying it's like so good you stutter over yourself you're just like and then this happened and then this happened and then all this really amazing stuff happens but anyways okay so we're gonna play another track yeah i think we will no i don't know let's talk some more about simon for like at least five more minutes so we mentioned rob um then there is uh oh yeah one of the things about book two that's really cool is when you get to issue 10 and you enter the dreaming the book you have to turn it sideways because all the panels are sideways so that's really neat and there's a main character rose and she's looking for her brother and she encounters characters from the dream and then you find out that she's like this vortex that's attracting um the wayward um entities from dreaming and so it's kind of sad but it's interesting because sandman and morpheus is like using rose to accumulate the wayward dreams and at the same time there's like a serial killer convention it just the books go all over the place it's so good now the third book called dream country was excellent there's a a standalone story about calliope who is one of the muses of uh, greek folklore and how she's being manipulated and used and trapped to create uh fiction and it's uh, illustrated by kelly jones who has this really dark sort of style um there's also a story about dreams of a cat where uh this cat was so upset over it's people killing its kittens that it went to find the mother of all cats and learn the real story of the cats, which is we humans used to be tiny and the cats used to eat us. And we all got together and through the power of dreams, we grew and the cats became our subjects and we became the masters. And so this cat is trying to accumulate as many cats as she can to like dream of them back in power so they can have the power again. There's also um, A Midsummer's Night's Dream, which I had mentioned earlier, that was uh, about... Because in that story about Rob Gadling, the man who was going to live forever, uh, and another part of the story when they're doing... Because like, it goes every 100 years, right? Because that's when him and Morpheus meet. And so one of the 100 years, Morpheus encounters Will Shakespeare, you know, pleading begging the gods to write a good story. And he would do anything to write a good story. And so Sandman gives that wish, but he's like... 
in turn, you'll have to write me two, two plays. And one of them is Midsummer's Night's Dream, which he's written for the Queen of Fairies. And the Queen of Fairies used to be Morpheus's lover. So it's a tribute to his former lover. And it's, like I said, illustrated by Charles Vess. It's just stunning and beautiful and it definitely deserves the award that it received um there are so many stories and so many books within the sandman world i cannot i don't even know i can't even get into them all because we're of course running out of time and i just oh, it's so wonderful but we're gonna go to a track cjlo 1690 am we're gonna go to tv on the radio singing oh no we'll play that next week let's do the yeah yeah yeah's mystery girl it's kind of if you think about it it's sort of like delirium and one of the things that's so cool too about sandman is that like people different characters have different fonts for the way they talk so like lucifer has this sort of like archaic gothic uh style of writing for his dialogue and delirium who's the coolest character who always shows up super punky with bright red hair with colors and like little bubbles and fish floating all around her because she's delirious um she her word balloons are multicolored, and her uh letters are all different shapes and i just i it's these little little details that make sandman such a absolute pleasure to read okay so here are the yeah, yeah, yeah's the tracks called mystery girl you're listening to cjlo.com 1690 a.m
right now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you something new with modern music, where you can sit back and relax and take some of the wonderful things. We bring you, ladies and gentlemen, let's give them a big hand. Let the rhythm hit them, CJLO 6098M. Check it out every Tuesday night, 8 to 9, for your hour of hip-hop. And you're listening to CJLO 1690 AM. This is the Onomatopoeia show where we talk about all graphic arts all the time. And we are talking about The Sandman, which is written by Neil Gaiman and illustrated by amazing people like Jill Thompson, Sam Keith, Mike Dringeberg, uh, Malcolm Jones, Charles Vess, P. Craig Russell. Like, it's just ridiculous the amount of people that have contributed to this series. Um, of course, a lot of them were just at the beginning of their careers. Jill Thompson's work doesn't look that familiar <laughs> but it's still really good um and it, it's just fantastic to see a how these artists have evolved and b how this story has just evolved to something so wonderful now there's like i was saying there's stories within stories with the sandman series uh barbie a new york divorcee who was introduced in the doll's house had a huge story arc in a game of you which was this magical realm she created that was sort of very jim henson labyrinth like um story within a story there's just so it's just oh it's so good let's see i gotta check my notes because i wrote lots of stuff down um and wow basically we're introduced to lady constantine which is like john constantine's great 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 grandmother and at first she shows up when Rob and um, Morpheus meet on one of, one of their 100th year anniversaries and she's like, who are you? I want your power. Clearly you're um, some kind of magic beings because you're always meeting here 100 years. And then uh, he dispatches her quite quickly, Morpheus, because he's got a lot of power in those fingertips. But then in a later issue, you learn that she is uh, tasked with the mission of retrieving his son's head because his son is Orpheus from the Greek story um and earlier we mentioned calliope one of the muses from greece who calliope actually used to be morpheus's wife so there's like all this like intrigue and you know um little tentacles twining in between each other in these stories of it's like a body of work like a literal body it's like there's like nervous system and blood system and just all sorts of lungs reaching out to other parts of the body i'm not making any sense it's just an amazing series um other things I needed to tell you about the Sandman um, is Neil Gaiman is very accessible as a writer. Not only is he playing with familiar myths within the series of Sandman, but one of the things that he did that I thought was really great, and probably one of the first times anyone had ever seen this, at least definitely for me, is in the back of one of his books, he had one of his scripts. And so, like, it's kind of like a magician showing how he does his trick. And I thought that that was made him so much more um, endearing as a writer, that he's not so hung up on the competition that he'd actually encourage other people to create something as monumentous as, and as great as what he's created. Now, to be fair, uh, good old Neil Gaiman has gone on to do many, 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 many amazing things beyond the Sandman. And it's crazy, though, when you think of it, that this is one of the first major things that he did, and it was just knocked it right out of the park. Total home run, just stunning all around, artistically and um, literary-wise. It's it's really like reading Charles Dickens, or like seriously, it's I consider it an absolute classic within the comic book world, and so should you. <laughs> if you've never read it, it's something you have to read, especially if you're even remotely into any kind of fantastical stories, or just even stories about people, because that's the other thing that makes Neil Gaiman such a great writer, is he's dealing with all these crazy fantastical creatures and ideas and thoughts, but the thing that makes him so great is they're so... 
entrenched in their humanity. The thing that makes you identify with the Sandman is the fact that he admits to his faults and he's trying to um, atone for them and make himself a better person. Which also makes the ending all that more horrible, the fact that he ends up passing away. And while there is another Sandman, young Daniel, it's just not the same. It was kind of shocking, actually, <laughs> at least to me. But like, it just it made a lot of sense. And you know, you also have to give credit where credit is due. Gaiman walked away. He had an ending, he finished it, and he walked away. He didn't continually milk it for all it was worth. And there have been new things coming out here and there. Uh, lots of miniseries, like I've told you, are around the corner and to talk about next week. But one of the things, one of the reasons why I did the show is because at the last Comic-Con that just happened a couple weeks ago, uh, Neil Gaiman announced that there was going to be a new Sandman comic, a prequel of the Sandman, and it was going to be... Uh, illustrated by jage williams which is very very exciting i think um and he jage williams did promethea for alan moore and it's it's going to be so excellent he's he's doing batwoman right now he's just a beautiful painter has such a innovative way of looking at panel layout and structure it's just excellent and so uh that's going to come out in 2013 they said and it's going to be um yeah a prequel it's going to be a prequel and it's going to... Oh, here here we go. It says, it's going to be the story of what Sandman Morpheus was doing before Burgess captured him and what it was that exhausted Morpheus so much that it made Burgess capable of capturing him. So that should be pretty interesting. I just... I'm so excited about J.H. Williams. I think he's an amazing artist. Now, speaking of amazing artists, we're running out of time and I just want to quickly touch on a couple of other things. There was a Sandman Dream Hunters that came out that was illustrated by Yashitaka Amano that was just stunning. Um, beautifully painted. It was a story, a Japanese folklore story about a fox spirit and Morpheus. And even P. Craig Russell did a comic book adaptation of it later on, which is also pretty excellent. Um, speaking of P. Craig Russell, I wanted to also mention that in one of the books, uh, one of the last books, not Wake, but I think it was, uh, where is it? I read it this morning. Uh, it wasn't the Kindly Ones. It wasn't anything here. It was, oh, it's because I left it at home. It's the, it's World's End, I believe. In World's End, there was this great story by P. Craig Russell about, um, called Ramadan, uh, which is fitting because Ramadan's around the corner. But it was this beautiful story about the, the vizier and the king and how the king was so happy with everything he'd created in his world. He was like, this city of Baghdad is the best that it will ever be. It's the most excellent of ages. How can I ever uh, retain this? And so he makes a pact with the Sandman, Morpheus, and he basically puts it in a jar so that it will keep forever and it's a beautiful beautiful story that's just so gorgeously illustrated by Pete Craig Russell really like totally outdoing himself um also they did a new book uh gosh years and years ago maybe four maybe six ah probably six years ago well no let's just say eight let's say eight years ago uh and it was called the sandman endless nights and it was each story was about a specific character of the endless and you have um p craig russell again and you have uh glenn fabry and milo manera and miguel pradu and frank quietly did a stunning piece bill sinkovich does an excellent piece on delirium it's I, you know, it's and it's fantastic because Gaiman wrote it. And at one point, actually, there's this great story, the one that Miguel Prado illustrated, that explains this, um, the sort of the history behind the Green Lantern. <laughs> and you get to meet Delirium before she is uh, Delirium, back when she's Delight. So it, you know, there's just so much history, and so it's so good. And like I said, next week we're going to talk about um, the offshoots of Sandman because. 
when it was over, it was a sad thing. I know I was sad, but there was like the dreaming came out and uh, Jill Thompson has been doing some neat little mini series that we're going to talk about. And the Lucifer series was huge. It's just there. It never ends really, which is kind of cool. It's never, it's, it's endless. <laughs> if we could say that anyways, um, I don't know what's coming up next week. I'm going to be doing that Sandman episode. Like I just said, but there are going to be some, hopefully some interviews coming up. No Patton Oswald. He canceled all interviews for everybody. But fingers crossed, maybe, maybe, we'll see. Um, also, ideally, uh, I'm going to be interviewing Glenn Will tomorrow. So that will play. And lastly, I wanted to mention that there's a How to Train Your Dragon live spectacle. And this is really exciting. I actually kind of want to see it. And it's totally probably worth the money. Um, it's playing. And it's it's almost... it's. Where is it playing? It doesn't say on this silly site. Oh, maybe I'll have to tell you next week. But, oh, bother, said Pooh. This website is annoying. It's just for the How to Train Your Dragon. It doesn't say anything about Montreal. Okay, my point is, is you can see ads for it in the bus depots. <laughs> like, that's where I saw it in the metro uh, d- depot. And it looks really exciting. And it's by the people that did the dinosaurs, you know, the real-life dinosaurs, where they were, like, animatronic and super huge. And I thought that was really cool, but I wasn't going to shell out for that. But you know what? I think I will shell out for the dragons. Because when are you ever really going to see something that's, like, a real-life dragon? I think... It's going to be so cool, and I'm super psyched for it. But I'll tell you more about it as the date comes closer. And right now is Fantasia. I don't have anything to recommend because I still haven't looked at the catalog, but um, I'm going to have lots to recommend next week. And next week is this coming week is also every Just for Laughs show you could possibly imagine. There's so much crammed into every single night that you should be going at. There's got to be some tons of free stuff too, but I'm willing to pay because there there's some funny people out there. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing Daniel Sloss. Um, I also want to see Glenn Wool and Darcy McMichaels and who else do I want to see? And then of course Anthony Jesselnik is playing and Ari Shafir is doing the Shroom Fest and it's going to be excellent. Um, Deanne Smith is doing a show. Like there's lots of excellent comedy happening right now and next weekend next week as well so okay anyways um next uh, track <laughs> sandman 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 you guys like seriously you don't need me to tell you it's excellent uh it's won so many awards and it's so amazingly illustrated if you haven't read it yet you're really really basically you're missing out i don't mean to guilt you but like i'm just saying you really are kind of missing out on one of the best stories ever told within the comics world and i don't like throw these kind of words around casually like literally the sandman is one of the best gaiman is total genius if you've read any of his books the comics just are so much more rich uh, with with stuff that you you'll be like, why did I even not ever read these? Um, but anyways, anyways, okay, blah blah. Neil Gaiman, Sandman, and now we're gonna go to this track by the Veils. It's called Calliope, and you're listening to CJLO sixteen ninety AM, CJLO.com, The Veils.
hold up to the high and crumbling moon We made it there, my love Closed both my eyes and crawled under the sink And as I dreamt, I swear, I felt you in my arms to believe in